Buckle up for this episode of Drive Time Talks, an exclusive podcast for Toyota's policy drivers, the team members driving policy decisions that matter to Toyota. This is Donna Rudy from Government Affairs coming to you from Washington, D.C. From Michigan R&D Headquarters, Senior Manager of Purchasing and Director of Toyota Supplier Grassroots Program, Lynn Davis joins me for this traffic report. Lynn, tell us why the important work that our engineers do at R&D headquarters and across the company is so critical to Toyota's continued success and in our fight to stop the enactment of auto tariffs. Thanks, Donna. I think that's a great question, and I think it's something that a lot of people in the company don't realize really what R&D is in North America and how important it is to the company. So R&D is more than just parts engineering. We do all the evaluation for vehicles in North America. Uh, We manage the full development of four vehicles, Sienna, Avalon, Tundra, and Tacoma. And our purchasing group is part of R&D, which controls 70% of the cost of the vehicle. So the other reason I think R&D is really critical to our success in North America is it shows our commitment to the U.S. market and the North American market and that we're putting resources for engineering and new technology actually in Michigan, in the United States, and that not everything is coming out of Japan. And Donna, related to the tariff question, in my opinion, why I think R&D team members, and we have 700 that are already policy drivers, are so important to the discussion is that we have a really strong manufacturing story already, we have a strong dealer story, we have a strong supplier story, and we have a strong Plano story. But R&D really shows how Toyota has decided to be local in car design and car management from cradle to grave, and that's what our competitors look like to the current administration, that they do everything everything in the United States. With our R&D in Michigan and other states in the United States, we show that we are also cradle to grave. Now on to rush hour. Japan just held parliamentary elections on July 21st. To learn about these results and what they mean for U.S.-Japan trade talks, let's check in with Lila Aridia Foss, our global policy director. Well, Japan held elections for the upper chamber of its diet on Sunday, and Prime Minister Abe's ruling coalition was able to maintain their majority. It's worth noting that the Prime Minister's ruling coalition also has a majority in the diet's more powerful lower house. What do the results mean for Prime Minister Abe's leadership? It means Prime Minister Abe's political leadership is not at risk, and he is on track to become Japan's longest-serving prime minister this November. While we know all eyes are on November, by the 14th, the president will determine which actions to take under the Section 232 report on autos, which could include slapping tariffs on imported autos and parts. You're right, Donna. To avoid Section 232 auto tariffs, Prime Minister Abe's immediate challenge is to reach a trade deal with the U.S., which is no simple task. Although our primary concern is autos, agriculture is going to be the greatest pressure point in these talks, and that's largely because U.S. farmers are eager to gain access to Japan's market, which they thought they would get through the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, or TPP, but of course the U.S. withdrew from that in uh, January 2017. However, the remaining members went forward. All of those countries were able to gain access to Japan's market and fill in the gap left by the U.S.'s departure from the deal. In addition, Japan just did a trade agreement with Europe, and so European farmers have been able to export their products into Japan. The U.S. farmers really feel left out, and and it's going to be difficult politically for Japan to figure out a way to sort of provide access to the U.S. without clawing back what they've already allocated to these other countries. What's the timing for negotiations since the November 14th deadline is less than four months away. 
While the president wants to secure a deal as soon as possible to appease U.S. farmers who not only want access to Japan but have also been hit hard by tariffs that China and other countries have imposed in response to U.S. tariffs. Also, the president wants to secure a trade win that he can promote on the campaign trail as we head into November 2020. So now that the upper diet election is over, U.S. and Japanese negotiators are going to really pick up the pace of their talks. And as far as we know, they're trying to reach a mini deal, which is basically an agreement that's not substantial enough to require congressional approval. And the target date as of now is September, when President Trump and Prime Minister Abe will meet at the UN General Assembly meetings in New York City. And that would be rather symbolic to announce a deal because at last year's UN meeting, the two leaders agreed to launch trade negotiations and, of course, avoid tariffing each other as long as those talks continue. On Pennsylvania Avenue, President Trump launched the Pledge to America's Workers, an initiative that recognizes the crucial role companies play in educating and training the American workforce. By signing the pledge, companies commit to creating new opportunities over the next five years for American students and workers. More than 300 companies, including Toyota, have signed on, committing to more than 12 million opportunities, 200,000 of which Toyota has pledged. Yesterday, our CEO Jim Lentz and six Toyota team members were invited to the White House to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the pledge, hosted by President Trump and his daughter and advisor, Ivanka Trump. Toyota's Kentucky team member, Shamika Green, spoke on behalf of Toyota. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. My name is Shamika Green. I am a team member at Toyota Motor Manufacturing of Kentucky. I joined Toyota two years ago with no automotive experience. Luckily, I served four years in the U.S. Army. The Army equipped me with leadership skills, a sense of resilience, and discipline. Like the military, Toyota has invested in me. My supervisors encouraged me to take on new challenges and provided opportunities for me to participate in advanced training courses. In just two short years, I have taken on more responsibility expanded my skill set and moved to more senior positions. Toyota's training classes, along with my willingness to take on new challenges, have allowed me to advance in my career. I'm grateful that Toyota took the pledge to American workers. It reassures me that my company is willing to continuously invest in me. And as we face change in the future, Toyota is preparing me for that future. I'm sure I'll be prepared for whatever lies ahead. On Constitution Avenue, we go to our congressional expert and former Senate Chief of Staff, Bob Russell. Bob, with the House just passing the budget deal, does this mean that Congress can now move forward on the USMCA or US-Mexico-Canada agreement? And what are the odds of it passing this year? Well, good morning, Donna. And I hope I found the quiet corner of the Capitol that you can hear me from this morning. A lot's been going on on the Hill overnight. The House passed the budget bill, and it was interesting. Uh, there were a lot of Republicans that voted, voted against it. Speaker Pelosi put together a Democratic majority to pass it. It is anticipated that it will go to the Senate next week, and it will be passed out of the Senate, and it's anticipated the president will sign it. Of course, all of those things have to happen before the budget deal actually becomes law and goes into effect. we got to see what happens in the last week that the Senate's in session. Make sure the president passes it. But if that happens, there's two things for USMCA. One, it shows that Congress can actually pass something with a Democratic House, a Republican Senate, and with President Trump. 
two, it takes a couple of hurdles out of the way that if we come back after this six-week August recess, it would be very problematic to see USMCA coming up. This certainly has helped the chances of that becoming able to be passed than had this not happened, Donna. The state highway is headed for Michigan. Government Affairs Regional Director Karen Johnston interviews Governor Gretchen Whitmer on her first visit to Toyota's R&D headquarters in York. Well, thank you so much, Governor Whitmer, for visiting us today. We know this was your first trip to Toyota, and we really appreciate you coming out here to see all of the activity that our 2,000 team members work on every day. Could you just share with us some of your impressions? I think some of the cutting-edge R&D that's happening in this facility is really exciting. A chance to see a crash test, I'm sure. <laughs> it excites everyone, but it was uh, fascinating and the chance to ask questions and to really have a better appreciation for some of the wonderful opportunities ahead for us, but also some of the challenges that we need to meet and think that the state has to be a great partner and I'm excited about where I think we can be headed together. So many great things are happening in Michigan with regards to the future of mobility and advanced technology. And I've heard it said that the road to the future goes straight through this state. Obviously, there's a lot of competition among several states for this distinction. So what do you credit for this incredible reputation? And then can you tell me some of the initiatives that your administration has been working on to continue this growth? Well, we have this phenomenal legacy of being a leader in the automotive sector. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a leader in mobility as mobility continues to change as we're connected and autonomous and shared, you know, Mm -hmm. electric. I think that's why it's so important that the state really is forward thinking and promoting and encouraging and incentivizing that technology and design and manufacturing to continue to happen here in Michigan. We've got incredible assets, and my administration is really focused on making stronger the connections that are already naturally here, working forward in terms of the testing Mm -hmm. and ensuring that we maintain this edge, the proximity and creativity that happens because of it sets our state apart, and that's where we need to continue to ensure we are leaders. Great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. If there's anything we can do, certainly we want to collaborate. Well, it shows, and every person that I've met on this (laughs) tour, people seem to be very happy to be here and invested and optimistic, and that's something that I think is an incredible strength. Now let's take a quick detour. The U.S. Supreme Court has always been known as the highest court of the land, but did you know that there's a court even higher? Literally? Yep. A basketball court, dubbed the highest court in the land, sits on the top floor of the Supreme Court building. And for generations, it served as a sanctuary for justices and their clerks from long hours, pressure, and partisan politics. The highest court in the land embodies all that's nonpartisan and impartial. After all, in basketball, there are only winners, losers, and justice. And that's it for Drive Time Talks. Thank you, policy drivers, for continuing to make the difference for Toyota. Stay engaged by following us on Twitter at Toyota Policy. This is Donna Rudy signing off from Washington. Look, I'm